Roger, thank you for that beautiful and meaningful prayer this morning. Well, on this Father's Day, I want to have us go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9 and verses 7 through 10 will be our text this morning on Mother's Day. I preach from Proverbs chapter 2, Father's Day, Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 is an interesting chapter if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs. In chapter 9, in verses 1 through 6, we have the woman wisdom. And she invites you, all of you, to come to her house. She has prepared a great feast, and she invites you to come. In verses 13 through 18, we have the woman folly, the woman evil. She invites you, all of you, to come to her house. She has prepared a great banquet, and she invites you to come and to feast. And right in the middle of those two sections we have what is known as a literary parenthesis in verses 7 through 12, which gives us instruction on the subject of wisdom. And I want to use this for this Father's Day. Now, we're just going to look at verses 7 through 10. And this is what it says. Whoever corrects a scoffer Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser, or excuse me, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Well, our first point this morning is true wisdom and knowledge. As we passionately pursue Christ in our Christian lives, it will result in true wisdom and true knowledge. Now, I intentionally this morning used the word true. True wisdom and true knowledge as opposed to the wisdom and knowledge of this world. What we would term secular wisdom wisdom, and knowledge, because even among non-Christians, they speak of having wisdom, they speak of having knowledge, so I am speaking this morning of true wisdom and true knowledge. In verse 10, we have a monumental verse. My guess is some of you, if not many of you, know this verse by heart. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One 
The knowledge of God is insight. Some translations have understanding. In chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs, verse 7, it starts out the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, fools despise wisdom and insight. So the question then is, and it is a question that I am guessing most of us have asked at one time or another is, what is the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? Now, there are many, I mean, you can go to a basic book in theology and get a good definition of the fear of the Lord. You can search on the internet and get some good definitions of the fear of the Lord. They will say it is revering the Lord, honoring the Lord. And that is what it is. That is a, those are good definitions. But probably the best understanding I've ever heard of the fear of the Lord comes from evangelist Paul Washer. He was asked about the fear of the Lord, and he said this. He said, the best statement I have ever heard on the fear of the Lord is the opening section of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Paul Washer said, the more you understand that, the more you study that opening to the Lord's Prayer, the more you will understand the fear of the Lord. Our Father, which art in heaven. Oh God, the majestic, transcendent, holy, righteous, perfect, loving, gracious, merciful God, our Father, which are in heaven. I think of what the psalmist said. God is in heaven. And he does as he pleases. With the heavens above and with the earth below. He is sovereign over all things. He is ruler. Sustainer. Over all things. Our Father. Which art heaven. This is what theologians call the otherness of God. He is not like us. He is not like any other being in all of the universe. He is other. He is unique in his holiness and perfectness. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy nature, thy attributes. Let us revere you. Let us praise you. Let us worship you. Let us exalt you. Let us honor you. And then, as we do that, we think how small I am. I am finite. I am sinful. 
I am in this universe insignificant. And yet you love me. You sent your son to die for me. Oh, how could I possibly give you enough praise and worship and glory? And when you think that way, Paul Washer says that's what it means to fear the Lord. I've got a few more weeks left in the New Testament book of Titus. We'll get back to that next week. And when I'm finished with preaching through Titus, I'm going to start a series on the attributes of God. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that in reviewing with us the attributes of God, that the byproduct of that series will be that we will all grow in our understanding and practice of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord also means to hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. When we fear the Lord, we hate evil. We see so much evil in the world that we live in. And though it is there, as we fear God, we hate it. We are repulsed by it. We are sickened by it because we fear God. It's not on the screen, but Proverbs 16.6 says, Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. So to fear the Lord is to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. To fear the Lord is to read the word of God with a white hot passion for the living God. To read it that I might know him, that I might grow in my understanding of him. You see, for the truly converted heart, the more you know God, the more you will fear him. Last week, I shared with you that nothing is more important than our salvation. Are you sure? Do you know for sure that you have had a genuine conversion experience in which you've repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have, if you have been truly converted, then the more you know of God, the more you will fear him. One writer said this, Don't be afraid of God, but fear him. Now, you might need to think about that for a minute. But I think it's an important thought. Don't be afraid of God, but fear him. We don't have to be afraid of God. He's our father. We sang how deep the father's love for us. We have been reconciled to him. We have become children of God. We are righteous in Christ before our Heavenly Father. But if we are truly reconciled, 
if we are truly children of God, if we are truly clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then we will fear him. We will revere him. We will honor him, worship him, exalt him, and seek with all of our hearts to please him and to obey him. You know, I look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And I think this. Why would we want the wisdom and knowledge of finite men and women when we can have the wisdom and knowledge of God? Have you ever wondered that? Now what I'm going to say might be a little sensitive for some of you. But I've often thought, why would I spend huge amount of time, huge amounts of time reading the great philosophers, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato? You know what they were? Just men, finite, sinful men. Now I know among some Christians over the years, there has been this big emphasis on that we need to read the classics, the great classics of literature. Nothing wrong with that, so I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. I've got a thick book in my office with all the great classics of literature and encouraged by the author to read all of them And I look through that book and I think, man, if I read all those books, I'd do nothing else with my life. I mean, these are big books. And there's been this emphasis among especially certain parts of Christianity that you need to read all the classics. I was at a conference one time and one of the speakers, and I love when this happens, He says in his message, he says, why are we putting this great emphasis on reading the classics? He goes, nothing wrong with that. But he said, you better be spending a whole lot more time reading and studying the word of God than you are reading the great classics of literature. Because that's where true wisdom comes from. That's where true knowledge comes from. Hey, if you want to read the great classics and you've got time for it, you go for it. You go for it. But above all of that, you better be seeking the Lord through his word. When we read the Bible, when we read the word of God, we are reading inspired, supernatural, inerrant words. We are reading the very words of God himself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So fathers, men, how do I know if I'm growing in the fear of the Lord? How do I know if I'm growing in wisdom? Well, verses 7 through 9 are one important guideline for knowing. You see, the heart of a Christian man will be revealed and exposed by how he receives and reacts 
to instruction and criticism. So throughout this message, I want you to be thinking, how do I react when people point out my flaws, disagree with me, criticize me, and seek to instruct me? Verse 7 through the first part of verse 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. We've all experienced this. In this world that we live in, if you seek to share with someone of this world a biblical worldview, a biblical design, whether it's a marriage or gender, abortion, or whatever the subject may be, if you seek to sincerely share with them what the Bible says, often they will mock you. They will make fun of you. They will call you a Bible thumper. They will accuse you of being a a religious zealot. They will accuse you of being unloving. They will accuse you of being intolerant. That's what happens when you seek to reprove a scoffer. However, this is not just talking men about the people of the world. This is talking about us. How do we react when we are instructed, critiqued, criticized? Look at the second part of verse 8 through verse 9. Reprove a wise man. Listen carefully, men. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. That's how you know. That's how you know. Whether you're growing in the fear of the Lord, whether you're growing in wisdom, this is a theme that runs throughout the book of Proverbs. Actually, throughout the Bible, but especially in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to read some examples. I actually had probably over a dozen verses just from the book of Proverbs on the importance of how we receive instruction. I'm only going to read four of them. And you're going to notice that they're all in the New International Version, and that's simply because when I first learned the book of Proverbs, it was in the New International Version, and so that's just my personal preference. That's how I learned these Proverbs. But let me give you four examples. Proverbs 10.8. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Proverbs 12.15. The way of a fool seems right to him. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 
Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 17.10 A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes of fool. Boy, I love that verse. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes of fool. And then one more. This is not going to be on the screen. Just kind of bring this together. Proverbs 19.20 Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. That brings us to our second point this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Men, I want us all to ask ourselves a question. Am I a man who becomes wiser when I am instructed and criticized? Or do I become annoyed, angry, and defensive? I want all of us to honestly ask ourselves that question this morning. I was given a piece of advice when I was a young pastor, and it has served me well, and I want to share it with you. Because pastors, as you may be aware, often receive more than their fair share of criticism and how they react. It's very important. I was told this, that when you are criticized, even if the criticism is wrong, even if the criticism is unjust and unfair, ask yourself, Lord, is there something I can learn from this? Is there something you are trying to teach me through this? Maybe the criticism is sinful. And yet maybe through it, God is trying to teach me something. Men. I believe one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual growth or to the spiritual growth of Christian men is pride. I believe perhaps the greatest thing holding some Christian men back from significant growth in their Christian life is pride. We have this attitude. I'm not saying women don't have it, but I think men have it more. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I've Here's where I stand, and nobody's going to change my mind. I become inflexible. I really don't listen to other people. And I think some of you are being held back because you refuse to be humble and teachable. Let me ask you this. Would the people who know you best say that you are humble and teachable? Would your family and close friends, 
would they say that you are humble and teachable? Now, I want to say something here so that I'm not misunderstood. The purpose of this sermon is not to scold you. It is not. The purpose of this sermon is to encourage you. Because I believe you men, you Christian men, can be more Christ-like than you ever imagined. I believe that you Christian men here today can grow deeper in your faith than you ever thought you could. That you ever imagined that you could. Be encouraged. But in order to do so, you must be humble and you must be teachable. There are some practical things that we can do to become men who are humble and teachable. I'm going to suggest five. I'm sure there are more than five. So as we kind of bring this to a close this morning, I want to suggest five practical things that we can do as fathers, that we can do as men to become more humble and teachable. Number one, be overwhelmed with the reality of your salvation. Again, this takes us back to last Sunday. Nothing, nothing in your life is more important than your salvation. If you have nothing else in this life, but you know Christ is your Savior, you're forgiven of your sins. You know that you belong to God and that you've been spared from judgment and damnation and hell. What could be more important than that? I think if we understood our salvation, if we really understood it, every day we'd be on our faces thanking God over and over again. You know, they sometimes ask the question, you've probably heard this, why would God send anyone to hell? I like to ask the other question. Why does God let anyone go to heaven? Why would a righteous and holy God let any sinful person into heaven? And we know the answer is only through Christ. Only through his death and resurrection. Only by being clothed in his righteousness. But I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. So appreciative of Roger when he came up to pray this morning. And he said, I'll never get over. His wounds have paid my ransom. Is that how you feel this morning? Can you ever get over that? When you understand your salvation, it keeps you humble and it keeps you teachable. Number two, read the word of God with a humble, broken, and tender heart. We read the word of God in a number of different ways. Sometimes we read just out of discipline. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
Sometimes we read the word of God because we're going to teach a lesson. We're going to preach a sermon. We're going to lead a small group. So we study for information. We read for information. Sometimes we read the Bible in in a Christian apologetic way. I want to know better how to defend the faith against a secular worldview. I want to better know how to answer my unsaved co-worker, so I read the Bible to kind of defend my faith. And all those things are good. All those things are good. But there need to be times when we read the Bible and we are just broken before the Lord and we say, search me, O God. As I read the scriptures, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Number three. Pray with desperation. Desperate for God to search your heart and to form you into the image of Christ. To pray, Lord. Am I proud? Am I arrogant and I don't even know it? Do I have blind spots that other people see but I don't? Lord, am I resistant to the counsel and advice of others? Oh, God, change me. Change me. Number four, be a good listener. Carefully listening to what others say. Remember reading an article years ago by a Christian woman, and the name of the article was The Art of Listening. And she made the argument that listening should be a spiritual discipline, just like meditation and prayer and scripture memorization. And I think she's right. Listening is hard work. She said in the article that rarely do we ever really listen to other people. She said, usually when people are talking to us, we're already thinking of what we're going to say next. What we're going to say to counter their argument. You know what? I've caught myself doing that in counseling sessions. As I'm seeking to listen to them, I'm already thinking of the next piece of counsel that I'm going to give them. And I have to ask myself, I have to pray, Tim, listen. Don't be thinking about what you're going to say. Really, really listen to them. Number five, be willing to admit that you might be wrong. When writer said this, when's the last time that you admitted that you were wrong? When's the last time you apologized to someone else? When's the last time you asked someone else for their forgiveness? Fathers, have there been times in your life where maybe you've been too harsh with your children? On some subject that you took a stand on? You took this strong stand, but now that as you look back, you think, maybe that wasn't as important as I once thought it was. 
Has God ever revealed to you that you need to be more gentle? You need to be more kind with your own children? Have you ever heard that old saying? Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Are you familiar with that? Well, let me tell you, as an older dad this morning, I've made my share of mountains out of molehills. I have. Men, are you growing in the fear of the Lord? Are you growing in wisdom? Here's one way you'll know how. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, through the instruction of your holy word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Mold us. Mold us into men who are humble and teachable. Change us. And transform us into the image and likeness of our Savior. And Lord, oh Lord, please, please encourage all of our fathers on this special day. In Jesus' name, amen.